Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Newspeak, the New Culture Forum's current affairs programme. My name is Emma Webb and I am joined this week by the director of the New Culture Forum, Peter Whittle, and Caroline Fisk from Conservatives for Women. This week in the news we've seen the victory of Orban in Hungary, as well as the latest news surrounding women's rights and what has been hailed as a new suffragette movement. So if we could begin by kicking off by talking about the campaign that you're involved with, Caroline, would you be able to give us an update on exactly what that campaign is about and what your objectives are. Okay, so I'm Caroline Fisk from Conservatives for Women and the reason we formed was we became more and more aware of how gender ideology, which is about preferencing the idea of sort of an inner gender identity over sex, how that was more and more um, being preferenced in law and legislation and spaces. So for example, that trans identifying males you know, should they be allowed into women's spaces? Should they be allowed into women's sports? Uh, should they be allowed into NHS hospital wards? And uh, so, so much of this was actually happening and the government seemed to be behind it, uh, the Labour Party getting behind it, politicians becoming fearful of even actually saying what a woman is. So Conservatives for Women formed to challenge this, to say that biological sex is real, that science is real, that we must pursue truth and we need open debate about this issue and its policy implications. Sorry. So therefore, so Conservative for Women formed and then we teamed up with women from other parties to form Women Uniting. And as the local elections are coming up, we thought this is the ideal time to really take this out to the public. So we joined up with the Women's Rights Network, which is grassroots women who are very concerned about this issue and with Sex Matters which is Maya Forstatter's group. Oh, Maya um, Forstatter, yeah. Okay, so Maya uh, lost her job because she was tweeting about this yeah, issue. Yeah. And she effectively was tweeting about the idea that sex matters and that sex is real um, and that women are adult human females and she lost her job. Uh, so she's gone on to found Sex Matters. Mm -hmm. And the three groups have come together, um, really ideal grouping and are taking it out to the wider public now and are saying with the run up to the local elections, we want to challenge all candidates and all campaigners and all the political parties to say, where do you stand on this issue? And will you protect women's single sex spaces, women's sports and women's rights? I've seen, sorry, can I just, I've seen in the paper, uh, like uh, you've had a lot of coverage this week, um, but there are three of you, aren't there? Um, so uh, one of those would be Maya Forstater, and who's yeah. the other Okay, name? so Heather Binning founded the Women's Rights Network. Yeah. And so what that is, you can just imagine women getting so frustrated as, you know, so many things ha happen, like they're watching on the television about, you know, men competing in women's sports and at the highest level at the Olympics. So women found each other via social media, Mumsnet, Twitter, and I've sort of said, well, what can we all do? I mean, we've really got to defend our rights and we've got to defend science and the truth. So they actually formed grassroots groupings and Heather really helped to bring them all together and to introduce women to each other so we can talk and say, what can we do? So that's a really amazing grassroots movement. And men and women from all over the country can join that. So it's an amazing threesome because we've got that grassroots of anyone who's interested in this issue can join in. Then we've got women who have associated themselves with political parties. And we're really clear that we want all parties to address this. Some people have said to us, well, will you go off and found a new party? We're saying absolutely not. Science is real. 
you know, the sexes are real. So we want all the political parties to engage in this. And that's why we've united. And then you've obviously got Sex Matters, which is becoming a little bit like a, a think tank, um, really focusing on policy and really focusing on, you know, facing into government and saying we need to talk about these matters. So it's an ideal grouping across the three groups. By way of explaining um, to our audience why this is necessary, what are the, I know that obviously in the last couple of weeks there have been a lot of, of news stories surrounding um, sex-based rights and gender and, and particularly Labour Party politicians, but across the board politicians being very frightened of answering the question, what is a woman? Um, so would you be able to give our audience uh, sort of a, a better understanding of the context from which this campaign is emerging and why it's necessary? Gosh, it's a big question. <laughs> okay, so one of the difficult things about this is it's it's become so big. So um, the NHS has, you know, stopped really defending single-sex wards. Um, the NHS has stopped defending single-sex services. So if a woman, you know, she's going in for an intimate service, and maybe she's a Muslim, she's Jewish, she's Christian, and she says, I just want you to, you to be absolutely clear that the doctor or the nurse will be female. Now, the NHS has kind of backed away of, you know, really understanding her question for, you know, well, how we all understand that question. So that's the NHS prisons. Um, probably lots of people in this country don't realise that um, men are now in women's prisons if they identify as female. Most of them will physically, um, you know, they won't have undergone any surgery or anything. And so they're in prison. They might be violent offenders, but they're in women's prisons. And we're saying that that's just wrong. Um, so it's right across our sort of public services that women's single sex spaces are, are under attack. And then, you know, it's going all the way up through language being under attack. So probably lots of people listening have heard that politicians have become afraid to answer a straight question, what is a woman? Right um, across the board, I'd say, because yeah. Rishi Sunak yep. also didn't, didn't he? On that um, na uh, National Health Service point, there was a terrible case. I mean, actually, it was a really upsetting case where a woman said she'd been raped. Mm. And they effectively, in this kind of Orwellian way, said you couldn't have been raped because there are no men on the ward. Well, there was a trans woman on the mm. ward. Mm. And they've now admitted yeah. that, in fact, you know, he was there and he... Well, there was the rape occurred. But the thing is, is that that's a fantastic example, isn't it, of ideology yeah. trumping safety. Mm -hmm. And the, NA, the Absolutely. NHS so ideology has been trumpeting safety. Um, so that's, again, prison or hospital wards, as you said, but prisons. But actually on safety, sports. Mm. It's not safe for um, bigger, stronger men to be competing in contact sports with women. Mm. But they are. Um, an element yeah. of this as well, isn't it? The, it's the balancing of rights because when women are saying we want to protect our same-sex spaces because of safety concerns, because of privacy, sometimes because of you know just purely from em embarrassment and wanting to be able to feel comfortable and and um, and, and have those spaces, that that doesn't necessarily mean you're saying that trans people you know don't have basic human dignity and shouldn't be equal under the law and so on. But in the balancing of rights. Why do you think it is that 
that trans and, and gender ideologies become so elevated to the detriment of women because obviously women have started organising more and more around this in the last year or so and even in the last couple of months. Is that simply because trans activists have been far more active than women's rights activists? And do you think that this has been compared to a new suffragette mm -hmm. movement? Do you think that that's the direction that this is going to take? Okay, so this is, yeah, the direction that it's going to take is that women are absolutely standing up and saying, we're part of the conversation. Maybe that's just where we're trying to get to initially. But so how did this get so far so fast? So a huge component of that seems to have been Stonewall. And I would like to, you know, somebody to write the history of this, that um, Stonewall was a hugely respected organisation that fought for gay rights and so was present in almost all of our large institutions right across the public sector, across local government, across the biggest, the banks and the supermarkets. Pretty much all of our major corporations were members of Stonewall. So I think it's about four or five years ago, um, Stonewall added the T to the LGB and really started prioritizing gender ideology. So you can imagine that if they're in an organization as a progressive presence and um, people are used to respecting them and understanding mm. that they are at the foreground of preference, prioritizing people's rights and dignity. So when this comes along and Stonewall is saying, you know, this is what we now need to do, it's like everybody has listened and everybody has thought, okay, this is what we have to do. Now, I think added to that is Everybody thought, yeah, it's, it's a small number of people. So if there's somebody really in distress with, you know, severe gender dysphoria, I think pretty much all women, and obviously our history is that we've accommodated um, trans identifying people. Um, so, and I think it all still might've been fine, but then we've got this huge social media movement where more and more people are identifying as trans. Mm -hmm. And I think women are saying, we can't take the numbers. It was absolutely fine to be kind, like in a nightclub. Gosh, you know, once or twice a year, there might have been, um, you know, a man who's a transsexual in the women's toilets and everybody just gets on and it's great. But when there's more and more people, um, we're saying, hang on a second. Um, we now, we need to do a rebalancing here and we need to consider women's rights. And in the Equality Act, there's other protected characteristics, religion and religion, religious women are affected by this. Um, strongly religious, Jewish, Muslim, Christian women, they can't go into a space where they think there might be men if they're going to be getting unchanged, swimming, etc. So we need to sort of say all the protected characteristics need to be in a conversation and all of their rights need to be balanced. What, Sorry. Uh, what do you think of the, so there are some people who've said that, that, that the way that women have been, not only the way that women have been erased, but also the way that women are being silenced when they try to object and actually speak up on behalf of their own rights. Mm -hmm. That there have been some that have said that there is an element of misogyny in that. Would you agree with them? I absolutely think so. Um, so women have said we want single sex spaces and we want to be able to discuss our single sex spaces. Now, when people have just sort of said, you can't discuss that. Um, that's kind of like, you know, you need to be silent. And there's another thing that comes out always is be kind. Mm -hmm. So 
I kind of love the way that your rights is not being kind. The people who say be kind are never kind. Yeah, no, well, this is <laughs> what I'm interested in. It is a simple way, yeah. rule of thumb, they're yeah. going to be nasty people. Yeah, so yeah. I'm always just amazed by that because obviously kindness goes both ways. Mm. And yet the be kind is to women, you lot must be kind. So effectively they're saying mm -hmm. <clears throat> the, the trans identifying man he must be prioritized yeah. and you must step back women's and you must be kind. And so there is a misogyny in that, isn't there? That, um, you know, you take the hit Well, we're actually saying, you know, one of our phrases is women are human. <laughs> you know, we're, we're all equals. But I have to say though, Carol, I mean, the mm. one thing that sort of surprised, has surprised me is that more women aren't more up in arms about it. Okay. Uh, you but, know? Yeah. I well, I can tell you why that is. It's, um, it is fear. And it's a great thing, isn't it, that our society, um, all those isms, you know, people hate to be called racist, they hate to be called sexist, and, and that's great that we've got that, that far, but people hate to be called transphobic. It's, it's really been weaponized. So um, it's just been very, very successful that if you're in a work workplace and, you know, a trans-identifying person is using the women's loose, and people's woman, livelihoods are at stake. Yeah, a woman is um, transphobic if she challenges that, and then her livelihood is at stake as well. Um, you see, this to me is sort of Stalinist. It's Stalinist, yeah, yeah right, I Just agree. calling someone, oh, transphobic, which is a very strong but word. Even yeah. if you look at the, 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 the people who get cancelled, that actually a vast majority, it seems, of people getting cancelled, fired from their jobs, no platformed. They're, gen they're what would be described as gender-critical feminists. And even in, the, I think it actually goes, it suggests how far we've gone in this and how entrenched the, uh, the ideology has become, that even in Maya Forstatter's case, the idea that gender-critical beliefs are a protected philosophical belief is itself absurd because it's not a belief. It's a statement of biological fact. And so even that, in some way, makes it seem like it is less of itself, if that makes sense. I know. And I, my understanding is she had to fight it that way, the way, you know, the Equality mm -hmm. Act, et cetera, is structured. So it had to be structured as a belief. Because it's the only way that you can fight for and it. And yet, um, you know, this is why, well, people like myself have sort of, you know, <laughs> stepped up to say, our society must defend science, mm -hmm. mustn't we? You know, how do we go forward if we sort of start moving away from science? And... That's true, Stalinist, that scientists yeah. like, um, I, I can't remember the name of the famous scientist, his name is Sel, Sel Winston, um, and it, when he, he, he um, or Lord even, he, he came out and spoke out against this, that even scientists are being told that they have to deny science, they have to deny statements of biological fact, yeah. otherwise well, they'll be I mean, cancelled. There's another way of looking at this, I'd say, is not to diminish what you're doing, mm. but that, that I don't even know how sincere, actually, the trans movement is. I, 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 when I say that, I mean, I, don't, I think that it's being used, right? I, just like the other ones you mentioned, uh, you know, race and what have you. Um, these are things that are being used as a way of undermining and, and actually sort of trying to destroy our sense of what we are, even. You know, our our basically, I know that it's not a conspiracy theory, it's just not. But basically, I think it's a lot of it is in bad faith. I think there's, there's no real hurt. It is a way of somehow fighting a political battle. And if you can demoralize people as much as they are currently are, or make them shut up, 
And, you know, there are T-shirts you can get saying, be quiet, if you can't be this, that, another, be quiet. I mean, you know, corporate chief execs wear these. There was one in the Sunday Times this weekend wearing this sort of stuff. Um, and um, I think it stinks. Uh, but I think it is a kind of form of attack going through all of our institutions. You're quite right. No one is going to say, you know, what do you... If you say transphobic, what is the comeback from that? What is the... No, no, I'm not transphobic, but I just feel this, that, and the other. Get it. So, so for me, sort of slowly coming into this debate, I felt like the gender-critical feminists had absolutely focused on the women's rights angle and protecting women's single-sex spaces and yeah. sports. And so for me as a conservative, I felt that what wasn't getting enough of an airing was exactly what you're talking about, that um, actually undermining science. We, we all know that, you know, there are two sexes. That's how evolution happened. Um, so to be undermining science, it's one of the foundations of our society and the pursuit of truth. Yeah. So to be sort of running away from truth, free speech. Some people would say the absolute foundation is free speech. And of course, this is the premier issue where you're not allowed free speech. You must not talk about it. You must be quiet and be kind. So when science is undermined, the pursuit of truth is undermined. Um, free speech. Free speech is undermined. It's an attack on our society and yes. how we live. Yes. And that's why we all must push back and say enough is enough. And there are, yeah. all, there are also implications as well for self, the, the whole idea of self-ID for free speech. Mm. So this is something that's also been in the press this week surrounding the government's decision on conversion therapy to not include, to have conversion therapy de defined as being for uh, homosexuals, not including trans in that. Because mm. when conversion therapy is used to describe something go that takes place with trans people what they're basically saying is conversion therapy is anything other than affirming somebody's mm -hmm. self-id this has come in the same week as this conservative mp has come out saying that he's trans but also isn't going to change his pronouns from he him he's continuing to live his life as a man and to be understood as a man mm -hmm. you know referring to his biological sex um so obviously there, there have to be why some did he say it then it's <laughs> a very good question. Why do you say it? <laughs> but, yeah. you know, this obviously has implications for free speech if mm. um, there are at least some activists, Stonewall namely, very unhappy that, that the government has made this decision because it means that there, there will be other options open to people who are experiencing gender dysphoria other than just the medical pathway. But even that alone, if somebody says, you know, I identify as, if I identify as a man and you tell me, you know, are you sure about that? That that would almost be, that would be conversion therapy. That's conversion therapy, therapy and, and made illegal. Well, it's the same as sort of, mm -hmm. you know, the whole uh, movement of anti-racism. Uh, we are going to make this institution an anti-racist. The implication being that it was racist before. Mm -hmm. And how on earth do you say, I am against this? What, you mean you're racist? It's all about the use of language and basically co-opting, taking over the language. You know, it's the same thing. It, and it's... But the, but the point comes, I mean, I think what you're doing is fantastic, because I think you've hit on something by simply very clear. These things come down, I think, to something very simple. You want to ask politicians mm -hmm. standing at the local elections. Well, so May. we picked the local elections just because, well, yeah, time no, well, to get going. Well, because and, they'll be um, on show, won't they? And they're they? coming up. Yeah, you're and going to have your work cut out going yeah. all around the country. But you've actually come up with something where you say, 
define a woman. Do you think a woman has a penis, right, or whatever? That that clarifies it very, very well. And you know, the other a very simple one is: Will you defend women and girls' single-sex spaces? Yeah. Because all local authorities, you know, run swimming pools, playgrounds. So the playgrounds will have toilets. Uh, and like in planning, like say somebody's, you know, a great big new building is going up. Yeah new office space, will you ensure that there are single-sex toilets there? So it's absolutely a local authority issue. But Peter, I just want to go back to what you were saying, because we're building up a list of what's under attack. And we said uh, science, free speech, we said something else there as well, and you added language. You know, our language is ours. It's ours to evolve. And that's a very democratic thing, isn't it? It's not for anybody to come over the top of us and say, we're changing how you speak. And this is a movement which is trying to say, um, we're going to tell you how to speak. Well, yes, it, and we course. just say, no, you can't, nobody tells mm. us how to speak. That evolves democratically. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I think your grassroots, uh, grassroots movement, mm. uh, you know, you say, oh, well, people can't just come to us and say, we're going to... We're going to uh, change the way you think and what, and what, how you say things. We no longer have the luxury of people defending us. That's the point. Yeah. The, the very people who should be making these points in defence of us are just on board with all of this. You know, they're on board with the whole That's, thing. Yeah. You know, so basically everything has got to be grassroots. It's absolutely got to be grassroots, and you know, we're de- we're defending our way of life. Yes. Um, I'm very that sounds like that a you trivial phrase, that. doesn't it? But it's literally defending the foundations mm. of our society. Um, yeah. Science, reason, free speech, language. And I'll add another one. <laughs> this is, I can hardly get my head around it. But so this idea that, um, you know, that we can't really be sure. So the British Library put out an email to its staff saying, uh, you know, you shouldn't just automatically sort of sex somebody, gender them when, when you first meet them. I mean, so I'm when I saw you earlier today, I was meant to stand back from the integrity of my senses and and wait to find that's, out from you whether you were male or female. That surely has huge implications yeah. in that you're actually asking. And I, and I, I mean... This, there are safeguarding concerns around this too, because I don't remember how long ago this was, it was probably before the pandemic. Um, there was a, um, a sign, I think it was Oxford University, that was put up on a toilet door that said something like, if you see someone in this, in this toilet that you don't think belongs here, basically shut up, don't yeah. say anything. Yeah. And so if you're, you were saying about, you know, the, the bigger implications of this for our culture and so on, if you're telling people to deny what they believe to be true, to say things that they believe to be untrue, and to simply, to, to, to as, as a sort of almost as an automatic reflex, to instinctively step back from your own perception of things, your own understanding of a situation, you are putting people in danger in, in the biggest sense, never mind in the, in, the, um, in, in the more narrow, restricted sense of mm-hmm. allowing men into women's spaces, mm-hmm. and particularly spaces where there may be vulnerable women. But on the broader sense, this is surely a danger for the whole of society. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so in, in, at two levels, the one of just step back from your, inst- you know, from your senses. Yeah. So that's challenging our very 
kind of reasoning, mm-hmm. you know, our linkage with our senses and how we quickly think. It's I mean, abusive. It's almost gaslighting. It's abuse. So it's abusive. But then to sort of the broader safeguarding. Um, but this has been going on, I would say, mm-hmm. for a very long time uh, in all sorts of different, different guises. For example, take immigration, right? Take the issue of immigration. Um, basically, now, what, what happened was that the narrative became pushed by governments, cultural establishment, the lot, that Britain was a nation of immigrants, right? This is simply untrue, right? It's simply untrue. It was not, in fact, we had remarkably little for years and years and years. Whatever you think about immigration, but the idea was to somehow take away from people the ability to argue their point about that. Um, and also by putting huge sanctions and saying, you know, this, what are you saying? You're out, this isn't a good thing, that diversity isn't strength. So, you know, actually there's not a jot or scintilla of evidence saying that diversity is strength, right? But somehow we still keep saying it, don't we? And you wouldn't not say it. And this, that's a triumph of, of kind of the takeover in a way of language. Um, I think that those are political issues. What's particularly fundamental about this is it's our very nature of how we define mm. what we are. By the way, so I haven't brought in, like, we've built up our list of what's under attack and honestly, our sexuality. I mean, mm-hmm. pr- all of us are either, you know, heterosexually attracted, same-sex attracted. You know, I think a small number of people are bisexual. But this movement, again, tries to gaslight mm-hmm. us about our sexuality and very particular gay people. And tells gay people that they're yeah. transphobic if yeah. they don't uh, fancy someone who it's is identifying exactly. as their yes. gender. Exactly. But did you see, um, so speaking of the denial of reality, there was a tweet a couple of weeks ago, a trans person tweeted saying that they were experiencing their first period cramps as a trans woman. Oh, and and women, oh. women see that and know that a trans, uh, somebody who's transitioned from being male to female and identifies as a woman mm-hmm. is not experiencing the same things that a woman experiences. They cannot experience the same things that a woman experiences. They can't get pregnant. They can't have periods, full stop. So whatever that person is experiencing or believes they're experiencing or is saying they're experiencing, if a woman says, no, sorry, that is not the same thing, she is faced with a choice between denying reality um, or being accused of being a transphobe. So actually, at the very, very core of it, you know, describing this as abusive and gaslighting, it's telling women that you, not only is it trying to erase women, but telling women, no, your experience of yourself is is wrong, and yeah. you're not allowed to express your experience. And surely, never mind misogyny, surely that is, an, uh, you know, I would nev- have never identified myself publicly in any way as being a feminist or possibly even privately. But that surely is the most anti-feminist thing that you absolutely. could ever do to a woman. I mean, look, it's, it's just absolute gaslighting of us and our sense of reality. And that's why we've come together mm-hmm. and um, across political parties to say enough is enough. Um, we're pushing back now. Mm-hmm. We're reclaiming our language we're reclaiming our right to speak. And we don't have the answers yet. Of course, there's all kinds of areas where we can debate, but I just want to say all the characteristics are protected. So we want to talk with trans identifying people, but say we're in this debate as well. But and our well, rights the thing matter. Is, you, you've been, mm. you know, sort of writing and active for quite a long yeah. time, obviously, uh, Caroline. But I mean, you know, you're probably going to have to get 
get ready for people to really start being abusive and things like that. Maybe they haven't already. I mean, maybe they, they've already been rough to you. But I think that such is the level of hatred and anger. Yeah. You know, this idea that somehow, you know, this, as you say, this be kind thing, this idea that somehow we are on the side of the angels. No, you're not, actually. Mm. You just dislike. You dislike, you hate, you resent. Those are the emotions that I feel come from these people all the time. So before we move on to the Hungarian elections, if to, to, it's, it's not really a lighter note, but let's, let's dip into this story anyway. So another story that came out this week was the decision by um, Sterling University to drop Jane Austen from their curriculum in order to decolonise it. Sterling? Was it in Sterling? And um, they have dropped it in favour of works by um, an African-American author called Toni Morrison, who I have to admit I've never actually heard of, um, and their special authors module for 2022, it says here, um, includes black postmodernism, gothic, as well as uh, the aesthetics of the contemporary US and the African-American novel. So the reason why I raise this in this context before going on to the Hungarian elections is because what struck me about this that I also thought was interesting is that for a long time people spoke about, you know, the oppression of women throughout history and um, many people would have said that it was important to have more female writers from British history in the curriculum and Jane Austen is one of the premier British female authors um, and is, is not only of significance to the UK but around the world. She's something that we have given to the world. Um, so it struck me as a particularly... Um, mad one that she would be dropped in favor of an african-american because in, in uh, african-american author because not only is that from you know outside of the uk but also it's a it's basically a decision to to drop a female author so i just wanted to get your thoughts on that no, i mean i think look i mean I mean, how many times have we talked about cases like this on these mm. programs i mean you know and, and you say this seems like a particularly bad bad one I've always thought Jane Austen had it coming, actually. I mean, mainly, <laughs> mainly because, yes, what was it that Woody Allen said? Uh, the, what's a post-feminist? Yeah, the sort of women who think the Sabine women had it coming. Um, <laughs> no, but, um, no, the, the, I always thought she was right for this because, um, you know, the, the novels are about people in beautiful houses that were around about the time of the absolute height of the British Empire. Um, most of them would have been, you know, you know, they could be portrayed as having been exploitative, all of this sort of thing. So I think that, for example, Jane Austen, I think she was even uh, possibly going to come off the money at some point as well, off the currency. Yeah. But this happened. I think what, so this is just in line with, you know, what all these people are doing. I think what you will find is that the um, BBC and these kind of uh, people who do period dramas um, will be very, very worried about maybe doing adaptations unless they seriously change them. I think, I think this will go, it's like a domino. So like we have Bridgerton on Netflix, uh, which has this vision of a multicultural Regency London, which is just simply just fantasy. It's absolute fantasy. In fact, it's not doing ethnic minorities any good, really, because if you're saying, well, this is always the case, you know, people walking along, mixed marriages walking along, it's a denial of their history too. You can, yes, exactly. You can say, well, you, what, what are you complaining about then? That's what people would say. So I think it's got a, actually, it's a bit of a hostage to fortune that one. And wasn't but, wasn't there also an architect who said that? Um, 
that Regency buildings were themselves white supremacist or something to that I've effect. Always thought, They're look, always going to come from Regency anyway, just because it's yeah. something that is beautiful and it's something from that period of history where everything has to be cancelled. I think that I think the idea, you know, like for example, we were very involved in the statues thing, right? And save our statues. The obvious next target I've always thought will be buildings. It will mm -hmm. be buildings. Why shouldn't it be? You know, they're going through all these things. The thing is with this sort of Jane Austen being cancelled, um, we can sit here and huff and puff and get so angry, but, but still it happens. You know, there's, still it happens because mm -hmm. the people doing it are the ones who have the power, in this case, university authorities. Would you see this as being, you know, this particular case or cases like it as also being essentially an erasure of, of British women's history? Well, I mean, I think, it, yes, you could say that. Um, but it's obviously part of the much wider movement as well. Mm. You know what? Bringing it back to my issue. So things like this, <laughs> I guess I, I slightly let it go over my head when um, I've got with me here, this is an LGBTQIA plus early years magazine. So it's targeted at two to five year olds. Uh, so people are producing this to, to be taken into our schools, two to five year olds. Um, I'll just read this out for people. Um, As educators, we have a responsibility to ensure that our students feel included in our pedagogy. So it becomes necessary to consider new strategies that don't put the responsibility of changing gender dynamics on trans children. One example is normalizing, not assuming pronouns. Um, how old are these? They're talking about kids of how old? Two to five. This has surely got to yeah. be extremely confusing for children who are in a period of time where their imaginations are so malleable, they basically have magical thinking. If you told them that they could become a, a cow, then they would believe you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, sorry, just to sort of, because yeah. uh, this is related to Jane Austen, you know, when you've, when you've got people producing stuff for our schools, mm. targeted at two to five-year-olds and trying to say to those little kids mm. not to assume other people's sex. I mean, it's such a transgression mm -hmm. on the integrity of young children and growing into being able to know who they are and trust their senses and trust adults. And so that's why I've kind of left the wider debate mm -hmm. behind about Jane Austen. It's kind of like, psh, it's going back to what we've got thing. so bad. The same I agree. Going back to yeah. what we were saying about um, safety and the bigger picture, mm. teaching that to children is teaching them to not trust their own senses, which yeah. surely puts them in extreme danger. Yes. Particularly yeah. if they are being told that for the sake of affirmation for example mm. that if all of the adults around you and all of the authority figures tell you something that goes against your judgment and mm. your perceptions then you ought to trust them and yeah. you ought to go against what you believe to be right that has surely yeah. got to be extremely dangerous I, I absolutely agree it's dangerous um another another piece that i had was um a stonewall piece where you know again showing school children and it was clearly a man in the women's loose you know he had long hair etc and um the children were meant to discuss it and the result of the little workshop was meant to be how they should all understand that he had the right to be there and that you know the girls the school girls should be kind and back off now that's absolutely a safeguarding disaster to tell girls your immediate reaction when you 
are alone in a single sex, well, a, what should be a safe space for women with a man is to step back and be kind is, is dangerous. Well, what happens to teachers, and I don't hear much about this, who say, enough about this, enough with this, I'm not teaching this. Where are they? Where are these people? Okay, I think there's a movement now, I mean, really big push from people like myself and all the campaign groups to say to the Department for Education, you can't back away from this. Yeah. You've got to really step up. Mm. Um, okay. So um, before we move on to the Hungarian elections, I just want to This is becoming a bit of a kind of a totem. Sorry. Before is, yeah. we move on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We never get move on, The Hungarian um, elections like some kind of metaphor <laughs> yeah. for something. Yeah, I, I just want to ask briefly, do you think that this is a misrepresentation of the Equality Act or a misunderstanding of the Equality Act on behalf of teachers and people in these institutions? Okay, so groups like Stonewall have misrepresented the Equalities Act. They have said there's all kinds of guidance which says um, trans-identifying people must be allowed into the, you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the toilets or whatever that, that match their gender identity. And that isn't right. The Equality mm. Act is absolutely clear that women have a right to single-sex spaces. It's a little bit weak in the sense that it's up to the organisations to um, invoke that right. Mm -hmm. um, and so the EHRC, Equalities and Human Rights Commission, has just come out with new guidance affirming that organisations have the right and the responsibility to look at it and, to, and you know, all the different protected characteristics coming into play and where they need to, to reassert women's right mm -hmm. to single sex spaces. So that's a victory, as you have said, for all the grassroots campaigning. Um, and that's what we all need to do across all of these issues. That's a very good note to yeah. leave that topic on. And let's move on to the Hungarian elections. Well, no, no, but there is a connection here. If I can make one, actually, is that, um, with the, because we've just been in Hungary, we made a documentary, which um, I, if they ha people haven't watched, I do hope they watch, but a lot of them have got about 60,000 views for it so far. Um, but this is a huge part of the appeal of the Fidesz party, which means faith, and um, Viktor Orban. And that is that this, basically they have, the Hungarians have a real suspicion of big, ideological plans and ideas, first of all, they just have that because of their experience of communism and everything. But also um, there's a desire amongst most people apparently though, because he's just won a fourth landslide victory, uh, also not to go the way of the West on these issues. Mm -hmm. So like the, and the, the, for which he is hugely demonized, which I think is probably what you were going to, uh, hugely demonised, has been long before the um, Ukraine uh, war, long before that, um, every time he's elected. Because he's sort of, they're, they're kind of going against the general run of the way the West is going now um, on immigration, on families. So, for example, uh, again on the family issue, they want to maintain the traditional family. Uh, the demographics of Hungary, like everywhere in, in Europe, were going way down, down, down. So they wanted to sort of incentivise the family. The more children you have, the better tax situation you have. Uh, I'm putting it very crudely, but that's it, without going into the technical sides of it. But also, the other point as well is that whereas we have said in the West, oh, you know, we've got a terrible uh, uh, declining population birth rate, 
we need more immigrants. They're sort of saying, no, that's not the way to go. If we want to keep the country recognizably hungry, then basically we should get Hungarians to have bigger families and all of that. That's, that's basically the thrust. And that's why he's so hated, obviously, um, by the sort of people that actually we've fought against now. But do you think that one of the reasons for the, um, I suppose you would say, the, the, the criticisms of or the resentment of Hungary and the situation yeah. in Hungary is that in many ways the, the tables are turned? So um, I think it was in the documentary you described, or someone described Orban as being um, a, an institutional conservative. Yeah, yeah. And he's been very successful over the last 12 years in building up all of these different institutions mm -hmm. and imbuing them with a conservative ethos in the same way that you would say many organisations in the UK have been imbued with um, a woke ethos and through lobby groups like Stonewall being so influential in those institutions. Do you think that that part of the, the, the reason why the, the, there's so much criticism of Hungary from particularly EU countries is because the tables are turned in that respect and what we see in Hungary is an almost an inverse of the situation in our own countries. Yes, exactly. I mean, and also pretty much on its own in that sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I found when I was there, I think I said this in the film, that um, it was actually remarkably open Minded. I mean, the, the whole thrust of it here and the coverage here, not just from The Guardian and the left, but also The Telegraph excelled itself uh, this week on Orban, uh, is that somehow it is um, this dictatorship, that uh, freedom of speech is... No, I mean, I think that this is um, a basic... It's, it's almost an anger that they've taken a different route, mm. you know? Um, and interestingly, one of your great heroes, uh, Roger Scruton, mm -hmm. is hugely influential. That's where I got this. Bust, folks. This is like, uh, we got this from the Scruton Cafe. They have something in, in Budapest, in, in this college, but also in the uh, town centre, city centre, called Scruton Cafe. A really nice place, actually, to go, just to go. Very nice. Dedicated to his memory. Mm -hmm. um, and they gave him... The medal, they gave him a very big medal, you know, Orban gave him a medal before he died. And uh, so they're very, very um, aware of him. Can you imagine a Roger Scruton cafe in <laughs> downtown Bloomsbury here? Can you imagine it? Down, what, do you, it? what do you think, though, of... Because obviously there are some things that I think rightly Hungary and mm. Orban should be praised for and things that, yeah. that conservatives in the West uh, admire the Hungarians for, for standing up for their own culture and their distinctiveness and so on. But there are a lot of um, criticisms that I think need a response. Yeah. So, for example, Orban's propensity to be very, very pro-Putin, particularly under the current circumstances, their, um, their hesitancy to um, sanction Putin over what's happening in Ukraine, and a number of accusations along those lines, as you mentioned also, the, the fact that there are some yeah. who would accuse him of being, or of eroding democracy and of not being a friend of the West. Um, well, what, how would of, you respond to those Well, no, criticisms? I think that the, the impression I got was they walk a kind of tightrope, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they're, they're in NATO and they, they, they very much celebrate that and everything. But then at the same time, they kind of, there's this very much this sort of we are hungry alone. So basically, I think a lot of the message of his election campaign was I'm not, you know, we are going to stay out of this and all of that. Having said that, 
Um, they've taken in nearly 400,000 refugees. I think it's the third biggest amount taken in. So that rather gives a life example to the idea that they are racist and anti-immigrant. I mean, you know, because these people coming, obviously they have a border with the Ukraine and there's a big uh, Hungarian ethnic grouping in uh, in the Ukraine too. But they sort of manage very carefully to ride two horses. Mm -hmm. That's all I can say. Um, but even if Ukraine weren't hap happening, um, because when we started making the documentary, it wasn't. I mean, you know, we, we started, we were going to Hungary anyway. Um, you know, we sort of knew, if he wins this again, there will be hell to pay from the usual suspects. And sure enough, there has been, really. Yeah. Do you think another, um, one of the aspects of um, Orban's success has been helping to, um, to, to somehow possibly stay or improve on Hungary's demogra demographic decline in a way that, you know, the rest of Europe's demographics are declining quite rapidly. And Hungary's approach has been to focus on building families and, mm. and reproducing rather than f filling those demographic gaps by bringing in um, migrants. So yeah. that's obviously one aspect of, of his success. Do you think that... Um, you know, obviously in, in that respect, having another term and possibly a term after that will it will go some way to helping them reach their target. I think it's 2030 it they yeah, wanted to Yeah, it takes go. a long time, I think. So think, yeah. my, my question is, do you think that um, another Orban term, or, or should I say, what do you think another t term of Orban's premiership in another Hungary? Another one? You mean after this? This mean? one, but this one. possibly another. Um, do, do, what implications do you think that, that will have for Europe overall? And, and if that's going to have any implications, particularly on, you know, obviously Orban is, is very much pro-family and against um, a lot of this well, ideology this sort of coming stuff. out. Of, yeah, no, I mean, exactly. uh, without question. Um, I would say uh, it's a very interesting point, right? It's, it's quite a long term thing. Um, I would say that um, essentially with the demographic point, the point was made to us, uh, you know, this is, they've had it limited, they've had some success with this, this takes a long time, it's a generational thing, so you probably mm -hmm. need another two terms or something to see anything sort of really changing. I think that he, the demonization of him probably will intensify because the whole line we have is that we need migrants because we're shrinking. That's why. So if you have someone who says absolutely no, you can do it the other way, they're not, you know, they're going to probably demonize even further. I think one of the most interesting developments there is this thing uh, which we will be talking about on the channel in future called MCC, which is a college, the Matthias Corvinus Collegium, um, very, um, very much a pa uh, patronized by uh, Sir Roger Scruton. But it, Essentially, it is a college which is for younger people who are already at university. It's like a conservative sort of hub, and they're trying to build a conservative-leaning elite for the future, mm -hmm. for all the institutions. Um, that's a long-term thing. Of course, everyone here, the left here, will say, oh, it's just brainwashing, like they don't do that, you know. Um, themselves, which of course they do. That I think is a very interesting um, how, institution. How did, I mean, obviously Orban has had a big influence on this, but how, uh, Hungary is so anomalous amongst 
the other European countries yeah. in how successful they've been at building conservative institutions. Mm. How did they do that? How did they go about doing that? Where did it start? How well, long did it take? This, the MCC College has been around since the 1990s. Um, I think there was already, the ground was already kind of quite well um, prepared because, of course, you know, they've been sort of uh, colonised by God knows how many people over 500 years, and the last being the Soviets. There is such um, a resistance to having to take on anything that looks like an absurd ideology. They will not have it. They will not do it. You know? mm -hmm. So there is the nature, maybe, of the people to begin with. Mm -hmm. Also, a very sort of slightly besieged mentality. They have a strange. They have a language. That no one, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't relate to anyone around. All of that kind of thing. Um, but I think that it obviously is showing uh, success. Uh, in the sense that uh, with the college, the MCC college, you know, you need young people to go to that, mm -hmm. right? And they, they have been going in their thousands. And so it's doing, I suppose, what it sets out to, which is looking at the future and saying we need a new kind of elite, uh, or rather conservative elite. Um, so I think that it's partly... Orban's doing, because let's face it, he's been there since 2010, uh, but it's also in the nature of the pe people. I think they're mm -hmm. quite, it's a rural country, you know, it's quite uh, conservative uh, anyway. Um, but you've got this little country which um, in some ways has just become a bit of an intellectual sort of magnet. Mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. I think on that note, we're going to have to actually wrap okay. things up. So thank you so much for watching. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. And please do like and subscribe below. And we will see you next time on Newspeak. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you.